Hey, my name is Phil, and this is my wife, Meredith, and we are the pastors here at Cornerstone Church. We're so glad that you have connected with us here today and that you're getting ready to listen to a message that we know is going to build a resilient faith in your life. Right now, in this moment and in our days ahead, let's continue declaring Jesus over every situation. Enjoy the message. We had an awesome weekend this last weekend. We had lots of things going on. We had we took our boys like in tow to just about everything. So we had a great big huge family weekend in the Ryburn house. And I love learning different things from my boys. I think it's one of the coolest things about parenting is that I have learned so much just from watching my boys, just from watching them grow up, just from learning how to engage with them in different ways. If you don't know us, my husband Phil and I have three little boys. They are five, two, and one. So also we appreciate your prayers all of the time and your caffeine in any form that you can send it. But, um, but they're just amazing because they're discovering the world and they're learning so much and I've learned incredible things about, about what life is like and about what relationships are like just from watching them. I learned all kinds of new things about my relationship with God, like the way that I pray, for example, has been totally undone because of learning through my kids and of trying to teach them how to pray. You know, there's this portion of scripture where Jesus is talking to his disciples and when he's telling them how to pray, he tells them, you don't have to use a bunch of extra words and you don't have to sound super fancy when you pray. In fact, a lot of times when we do that, we're doing it more for other people or more for our own ego than we are to connect with God. So don't do all that. Just just come and pray to me. And I've learned so much about that kind of a prayer life by engaging in prayer with my boys and by trying to teach them how to pray. Because when you're trying to teach a four-year-old how to pray, you can't use a bunch of big fancy words that you learned in church that you heard somebody say so it makes you feel like you're praying really cool. You have to pray super simple prayers with a four-year-old like, God, I love you. Thank you for loving me too. And it's so powerful. It's so powerful, and it's helped me become a better, um, I don't want to say a better prayer, but a better connector with God in my prayers because I've just learned how to strip down the way that I pray to what am I really getting at here? God, heal me. God, help it feel better. Prayers that get straight to the heart of it. I've learned so much just from watching my boys and watching them develop these amazing relationships. There's the three of them and they're learning how to connect with each other and they all have their own little relationships, watching them grow together and watching them fight together and watching them explore their world together. And there is this scene that unfolds in my house on almost a daily basis, certainly several times a week, which is that one of the older boys will be building something a tower, a giant tower that they have been working on block by block, building it piece by piece, making it the most extravagant, fantastic tower you have ever seen in your life because my children are fantastic builders. And then inevitably, especially the youngest one, that one, he's got a cute grin, but watch out for him. 
will come barreling in the room and either unintentionally, but more likely intentionally, will plow through this tower that his brother has so meticulously built with all of his effort and will intentionally plow through the tower and then take off giggling around the room with his destruction left behind him. And this is the stage where one of two responses always ensues. The first response is that older child, generally the oldest, but one of the two older boys, whoever was the builder of the tower, will have a complete, this is gonna derail us for 20 minutes, meltdown. There is screaming, there is shouting, there is crying, the world is unfair, I don't ever get to build the things that I want, and he needs to fix it, like you can convince a 17-month-old to fix a tower. There are unreasonable logic, there are tears, there are tantrums, we are on the floor, it is total mayhem. Or sometimes, amazingly, I watch this second response that I just sit back and ponder that the younger sibling comes in, plows through the tower, the older sibling sits there and literally will just take a deep breath and start gathering his pieces back together to rebuild the tower that has just been shattered in front of him. It's absolutely fascinating. I have learned so much from watching my children play. You are a second response kind of person. No doubt there are moments in your life where things you have worked towards and things you have built towards and things you have meticulously and intentionally placed block by block and piece by piece where it should go. And then someone who was too immature to know how to handle your life how they should have came and wrecked through everything that you had been working on and everything that you had been building. Someone came and broke your heart when they should have treated it with care. Someone came and didn't handle your education with the attention to detail that it required and it left shattered pieces of things that you worked towards and things that you built and you have an option here. You can sit down and you can throw a tantrum and you can wail and you can pound and you can cry and you can have big old crocodile tears about how unfair the world is and how much they should have and no doubt they should have. Or you can look at the pieces you have left and you can take a deep breath and you can gather them back up and you can build it again. And I want you to know that you are a response to kind of church. You are a response to kind of person. You are the kind of person that looks at the places where someone else would have just moved on and you say, I can gather this back up. I can build something out of this still. I can still make something meaningful out of the pieces that I have left here. I can still look at everything that's around me and gather it and build something amazing out of it. God can show me how to build this thing again. Last week, we started a new series. We started a new set of messages that we're going to be walking through, talking about how do we build again. 
How do we build again the places in our life when we look and say, I worked so hard for that already. Someone else worked so hard for that already. There's so much effort that I put into that already and now I'm just looking at pieces that someone came and knocked down and they're scattered all along the floor in front of me. You can build it again. We're walking through the book of Nehemiah and while we walk through and take a little bit from Nehemiah, we're taking some stories from this leader who didn't know he was a leader until he found himself in a moment that required it of him. Until he found himself in a position that caused something to stand up on the inside of him that he never knew was there before. Nehemiah didn't know that he was ready to lead others. Nehemiah didn't know that he was someone to take the charge except for he heard something that broke his heart. That the wall was in disrepair and it needed to be built again. And so something started standing up on the inside of Nehemiah. Something stood up on the inside of him that said, let's build it again. So I want us to remember the thing that, that Nehemiah set out to do in Nehemiah 2 and 18. It says, and I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good. I told them of the hand of my God. The thing that we tell others matters. The thing that we speak about, the messages that we communicate, the messages that we replicate matter in our life. When we build again, we are telling them not of the destruction. He didn't go and tell them how bad the wall was. He didn't go and tell them how disappointed he was. He didn't go and lead with how terrible the situation was or how awful it was out there or even how broken his heart was. He led with, I went and I told them of the hand of my God. What are you telling other people about? Are you telling them how scary it is out there? Are you telling them how chaotic it is? Or are you telling them of the hand? What are you telling yourself? Are you telling yourself how much you have lost? Or are you telling yourself of the hand of God that is upon you? And it says, and also of the words of the king had spoken to me, and they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hand for the good work. They strengthened their hand for the good work. There was a good work that God had given them to do. There is a good work that God is speaking to you about. There is a good work that he has placed in front of you. There is a good work that he has placed you in the midst of. God has called his people to a place of good work. What is the work that he has given you to do? Say, God has called each of us to a place of work, to a place of multiplication, to a place of abundance, to a place where we put our hand to the plow and do something with the thing that he has placed in front of us. God has designed his people to find this rhythm of rest and of work and of rest and of work and find it in a rhythm of rest and of work. And if you have been attending here, if this is your church, you know that we've spent some time over the last little bit talking about the rhythm of rest that we find in God, that we should find a place of rest, some places to detach, some places to run into solitude. We call it holy rest. 
that we should have a habit of holy rest. And that's because God was speaking to me about the way that sometimes we've run after an achievement-based culture or a success-based culture, and we've skipped our rest time. We've skipped the divine rhythm that he has given each of us. But the truth is that most of us have a tendency to lean too hard one way or the other way, all the way into work or all the way into rest. And really, probably more accurately, most of us have a tendency of swinging one way or another, right? I'm in a season of rest and that's all I'm doing right now. Or I'm in a season of work and that's all I'm doing. But that's not how God designed his people. God designed the believer. The life that he has for you is a life that's to be in a rhythm of work and of rest. A rhythm of like two legs on a body. You're to work and rest and work and rest and work and rest. And that's the place that we find a rhythm of producing the things that he has called us to and a rhythm of restoring our soul and a rhythm of transforming our lives to be more like him not in leaning all the way into work and not in leaning all the way into rest but finding the good work that he has called us to and living in the healthy rhythm of work and of rest and of work and of rest and we have to learn to find the pace that keeps us in his healthy rhythm because God didn't call us to be called separated from the the world, from the culture. He called us to live right in the midst of it. He called you to a good work, and the good work that he called you to, that is your place of ministry. That is your place to go and to reach the city. That is your place to go and to be a light shining of his love and his redemption and his joy and his goodness, to go right there in the midst of it, in the midst of the good work he has called you to. What is the good work that he has called you to? Because freshmen, when you show up to that high school, that high school is your evangelism field. Executive, when you sit behind that desk, that desk is your pulpit. What message are you speaking in the good work that he has called you to? Barista, when you make those coffees every morning, those are your disciples, faithful disciples. Every single day. There is a good work that he has called us to. The life of a believer is to be called into good work. And the work that he calls us to is a work of ministering to those around us. Not for a paycheck. Not for a paycheck. For the ministry of the place. Where has he placed you in this season? Where has he called you in this season? What is the good work that God has called you to? I want to ask you today, who are you building with? Who are you building with? If he has called us to build again, I want us to ask today, who are we building with? Father God, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for your presence. I thank you that you're here. I thank you for the words that you are speaking to us. I thank you for the power and the passion that you are stirring in us anew. God, help me to speak clearly today. Help our hearts to lean into you and help our lives be a reflection, God, of your word and your will in our lives. In Jesus' name. What is the vision that you have for your life? What is the picture of the thing that God is calling you to? Because if the vision and the picture and the thing that God is calling you to can be accomplished by you, it's too small. 
That's not a God-sized vision. A God-sized vision always requires us to come out of ourselves alone and partner with somebody else. It always, God, when God gives us a good work to do, God says to Nehemiah, I have this wall for you to build. And he gives him a good work to do. And he looks at it and he says, I'm not gonna be able to build this thing all by myself. When God gives you a good work to do, there are, it requires other people to be part of it. It requires us to partner together. God always gives us a work that's bigger than we can do on our own because he wants to call us into partnership together. God placed Adam in a garden and he gave him a work to do. He gave him all of the animals and he said, I want you to have dominion, I want you to rule it, I want you to subdue it, and I want you to multiply in the midst of it. And then he said, this work is too big for Adam to do on his own. There needs to be partnership in what's happening here in the garden. Adam needed a partner. The God-sized vision, the good work that God had given Adam was too big for him to do on his own. Another example, there's a king in the Bible named David, right? There's a lot of stories in the Bible about David. David is a shepherd boy. And when he's a shepherd boy, he goes and this prophet Samuel comes and he anoints David and he says, you are going to be king of all of the land someday. And then David goes back out to work in the field some more. It's a, it's a strange turn kind of when you think about the implications of being told you're gonna be king and then going back out to take care of sheep. But David goes back out to take sheep and it's several kind of uh, you know, years later in David's life and then he comes to this setup, this setup with a giant. Even if you haven't grown up in church, you potentially have heard about David and Goliath, right? That this young boy took a stone and he killed Goliath. Now David, for the most part, killed Goliath on his own, obviously with God's help, right? Killing Goliath was not God's vision for David. Killing Goliath was not the good work that God had. Don't get distracted in thinking that the obvious thing is the good work that God called you to. Goliath was just a setup for David to get the attention of the people that David was somebody that they needed to pay attention to. The God-sized work that God had for David's life was not killing Goliath. Don't kill a giant in your life and sit down like your work is done. That was wasn't the thing that God called you to. That was the thing that he was using to position you in the place. We achieve a goal that we've set out for ourselves and then we think, whoo, that was good. I'm gonna sit back and take a break now. No, 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 God was just using that to put you in the room that you needed to be in. Now is the moment that he has for the good work for you. This is the thing that he has called you to. This is the place that he has positioned you. Don't lean back now, press in now. This is the thing. David didn't go back and relax after that. This was the moment that David got called into the courts. This was the moment that David got called into and be before David could accomplish the God-sized dream that God had for him for his life of becoming king and ruling a nation and leading the nation in a heart after God, David had to start gathering some people. After that, if you read through it, it says that David began gathering his armies around him. He began gathering his people. David's mighty men are something that we hear of. The mighty men that gathered around David and they fought on behalf of God all of these nations and won all of these battles. David had to gather partnership around him. 
David is a picture in the Old Testament for us of what Jesus would be the fulfillment of in the New Testament. Now, Jesus is God himself. But when Jesus comes, Jesus has a vision and he wants to work within the parameters that have been created here on earth. And there's something about God that wants us to be in partnership. Who are you building with? Who are you bringing alongside this God-sized vision? Who are you inviting into the God-sized picture that he has for you? Who are you inviting to be part of building this thing together? Who are you inviting to come into the story and into the work that God is doing? Because Jesus came into the earth and he had this massive thing that he came to do, but he gathered, he gathered many people around him. He gathered the 12, which you're probably familiar with. One of them went a little bit sideways and they had to replace him later on. And these are the 12 that you're familiar of hearing about. But Jesus Jesus had gathered many because he was working in partnership. He said, I have this massive thing that I came to do. And Jesus came to do this thing where he died on a cross and he was buried and he was resurrected so that all could come and could meet him. And he did that in partnership with the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the triune God came and he was buried and resurrected and came back to life but that's not the only thing that Jesus came to do he came to create a pathway and he came to establish his people to establish his church and although he's God and he could have done the whole thing by himself instead he said I want to bring some other people into this process with me I want to partner with some people who are going to be those who can carry out this vision that I have, who are gonna share the load of what's happening. And yes, he brought the 12 in, but don't overlook, there are so many more. Look what Luke says. This is what Luke says about it. Luke 10, starting in verse one, says this. It says, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others. How many? 72, that's a lot more than 12. We only ever talk about the 12. But Jesus had many disciples. The 12 were like the core 12. Jesus had many disciples and he sent 72. And he sent them two by two ahead of him into every town and place where he was about to go. And he told them, some of you have heard this part before, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest. What does that mean? It means there needs to be more people. It's gonna require many. I want you to partner together to build this thing that I am speaking about, to build this thing that I've been giving you a picture for, to build this church. There needs to be many workers. He says, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out the workers into the harvest field. And I love the way verse three starts. It's a one word sentence. It's so clear and it's so directive. Go. That's the next thing he tells them. Go, go do all that I have just been telling you about. And then he says, and I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Thanks for that pep talk, Jesus. Woo. Talk about the wolves part again here in a minute. This is what he says. He says, I've gathered you and now I need you to go because this thing that we're building requires partnership. This thing that we're building requires many to come and to carry the load. This thing that I'm trying to do, who are you building with? 
Who are you inviting in? Who are you inviting into the story? Who are you inviting to be part of what would happen? Who are you inviting into to share in the building, to share in the glory, to share in the journey, to carry the weight of what's happening? Nehemiah set out and when he left to go and do his work, he started gathering people. God is calling us to invite others to be part of what's happening, to allow them to share in this incredible thing what is God speaking to you about and who are you building with who are you building with because it's going to require someone else to get the job done this great big good work that we have it requires partnership if you read through Nehemiah 3 when we go into Nehemiah 3, it's where they have now, they have been commissioned, they have gone, they are back in Jerusalem. Remember, Nehemiah inspected the wall. He figured out what needs to be done, and now they are setting out to do the work. There are 42 different groups of people named throughout chapter 32, or throughout chapter 3, sorry. There aren't 32 chapters in Nehemiah. Throughout chapter 3. Chapter three, there are 42 different groups of people named. 42 different groups. It requires a lot of people to do the work that God has given them to do. And so Nehemiah goes out and he tells them, I am inviting you in to be part of this incredible work. And because they said yes, and because they showed up, these heads of household, their names are written. Their names are remembered. They get to share in the story of what it meant to be part of those who built a again the wall of Jerusalem they got to be those who said I was there when we rebuilt the wall their names were remembered who could you be inviting in to be part of the story whose name isn't written yet in the book of life whose name isn't written yet in somebody else's story whose name isn't written yet in what it means to be a follower of Jesus who are you inviting in to this great big God-sized vision that God gave us to do to build again who are you building with right. Nehemiah had many that he invited in to build with and when they began to build this great big thing that they had to build they began to divide the work among them began to divide the work into different sections into in all the, I mean they were building this massive wall right they had things to carry and they had things to load and they had things to build and they had iron that had to be welded it required a lot of work and so they began to divide the work come on many hands make for light work if you feel like you're carrying too much who are you building with who do you need to invite into the story? Who do you need to invite into the journey with you? Who can you invite to be part of those who are carrying, who are dividing the work that is there to be done? Nehemiah set out with all of these people to divide the work. And he divided the work among them. And then he put them in individual places. He began positioning them 
at the space that needed built around the wall. If you read through, it's full of, and next to so-and-so was so-and-so, and next to them was them, and beyond this place there was another, and right next to that there was this. He began positioning. There's all kinds of prepositions in chapter three, positioning them in the places that they needed to be, and this is what's so interesting that he positioned them in the places that were near to the places that they lived in the city, right? They weren't building like, like this wall right here. They were building a wall that would surround their entire city. They were building a wall that would create a defense around their city. They were building something to ensure that their city was safe and that their city was guarded. It was a massive work to be done. And as Nehemiah positioned them, he positioned them in the locations that he needed them to be that were close to the place that they lived. Come on, who has defended their their own patch in a while? Who has gone to the place like Shama and said, God, if this is the place that you have placed me, if this is the place where my work is to be done, if this is my season for being a stay-at-home parent, then this is the place where I am gonna build. Then this is the place where you have positioned me, God. Who has gone to the place that God has placed you and said, I can build in this place, God. I can build in this location, God, because he has put us all around to be on you're a strange church like when you do church study stuff most churches have like a radius of where their people live that are like that is relatively close to the location of their church it's one of the great question marks that Phil and I have you guys come from everywhere like all over the place it messes with all of the church dynamic statistic building yada yada it's a fantastic problem to have because God has placed us all across the breadth of this city and of this region on purpose to be those who defend that space, to be those who build in the place that he has positioned you. And online, I've got good news for you too. They had commuters building the wall. True story. So they also had those who said, says they came in from Jericho. They came in from Jericho, which means they didn't live inside the city. They lived away from the place where the main building was happening. But even though they lived away from the place, they wanted to be part of the work because they felt connected to the work that God was doing and building in that place. And I know that there are those of you who don't physically live in this location, but God has connected you and God has called you. And so it says they took those who traveled in from Jericho and they began to fill them in, in the gaps where if somebody lived over here and somebody lived over here and we don't have anybody to build right here, they took the people who lived in Jericho and they said, build right here if you don't live here physically God has a place for you and a space for you to fill in the missing spaces in between to be those who pray in the midst to be those who invite others online to be those who spread the word exactly he didn't place you where you are by accident he placed you in this room on purpose and he placed you on that stream on purpose so that we can do the good work that he has called us to to declare Jesus Everywhere, everywhere, he began to place them exactly where he needed them. Who are you building with? Who are you building beside? Who are you building next to? Who is in your neighborhood? Who is in your community? Who is on your street? Who is on your row right now? Who are you building with? 
And then it says he assigned them tasks by their skills. Everyone who came had different life experiences, had different things that they'd studied or different things that they'd grown in and developed and different skills that they brought. Some of them were planners and some of them were builders and some of them were welders and it says that they built the gates and they built the walls and they hauled the materials and he began to assign them different things all based on the task that they had so that they could do the work. What has God divinely gifted you to do? What experiences has God walked you through and brought you through? What is the unique thing that you are bringing that helps do the building? We, last week, and we um, went to my parents' house to help them split some wood. We got like, you know, you hire a big truck and a wood splitter. Phil did most of the splitting of the wood. He wants that to be clarified. I was also in attendance. <laughs> and we went out and we went to do this wood splitting. But this is, there, here's this thing that happened. So for some reason, the ground was wet. So we pulled the truck in to this part of the yard where all of the wood is piled. And the truck gets stuck. I don't know if you've ever had that feeling where you press the gas and your wheels just start spinning. And that, to be honest, that's a whole nother message that I'm not talking about, but if you've ever been in that moment in your life when you're like, I feel like I am pressing with everything that I've got and I'm not going anywhere. Whew, that's a tough spot to be in. It's a frustrating space to be in. When you feel like you are leaning into something, when you feel like you are trying to push forward, when you feel like everything I do just makes this thing dig deeper. That's tough. And so to get it out, to fix it, we had to invite some other people into the process. Man, I, man, I didn't, when I was rehearsing this story, I didn't, I didn't hear this part of it. But if you feel stuck where you are, if you feel like you are pressing and pressing and nothing is moving, who are you building with? Who do you need to invite into the process? Because the longer you keep pressing that pedal on your own without bringing in some reinforcements, the deeper you're gonna make that hole, the harder it is to get out of it. Who are you inviting in? Who are you building with? And so we invited some other people in and it took several of us to get this thing out. And so we began to divide the work. There are multiple things that have to be done when you have to get out of a pit like that. And it wasn't quite a pit, I'm being dramatic now, but it was about to be pretty soon. It felt like it, right? Okay, so somebody jumps in the driver's seat because somebody has to steer this thing and then two people get in front of it so they can push us back out of the, the mud that's only getting deeper and deeper and then you've got another person who's on the outside and they're assigned to the, to the task of looking and seeing where we're going and making sure, okay, that tree's coming this way and you're in between a fence here, so helping direct because it is difficult work to be backing this thing up when you're trying to propel it backwards and then we had the kids there with us as our kids and someone else's kids were all there. All of them 
too little to be around an activity like this. And so my grandmother was given the task of keeping all of the kids. She had a very important role. And we began to position everyone in the spots that they needed to be. And this is what I want you to hear. Everyone had a specific assignment and we divided the work and we all got in our positions and we all had assignments that were related to the skills and the tasks. How many of you are grateful that we did not ask my grandmother to be the one pushing the truck, right? She is grateful, you are grateful, I am grateful, right? This is not the season of life for her to be pushing the front of the truck. But the very important role of making sure that all of the kids are a safe distance away and are safely occupied is an equally important task to the person steering the truck. God has gathered all of us here to build something meaningful, to build something that matters. And he is putting each of us in our assigned positions and in our assigned locations. And this is what Nehemiah does as he begins to put them in the places that he needs them to be. And as chapter three starts rolling, you can just hear the sound and that feeling when everything is just working. It's like there's seven dwarfs in the background singing, we whistle while we work. They are building that wall, right? They are hauling and they are loading and they are stacking and the work is happening. And how good is that feeling in your life when you are just moving and you can feel like we are doing the thing, the thing that God has called us to. And here they come doing the good work that God has called them to. And then right into chapter four, because this is how chapter four starts off. Chapter four, verse one. And now when Sanballat, that's just, when you hear that name, you know. Sanballat. Mm-mm. Heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged. And he jeered at the Jews. He was angry and greatly enraged when he heard that we were building the wall. Why? Why are there always those people? Why is there always somebody who can't just be happy about what God's doing in your life? That can't just be cheering you on? That can't just be excited that there's something being rebuilt? How come every time something gets built in this city, there's somebody who wants to complain about the way that they built it or the tax codes that they used or didn't use? Or how is that? Why is there always somebody who has to be a hater? Always. And Sambala and his buddies had to come and jeer and mock and make fun of, and they start teasing them, making fun of the work that they're doing and trying to sow disappointment and doubt, telling them that they're not really very good at building a wall and their wall's not really gonna last and their wall's not really gonna make it. Why is there always this somebody who just has to stand on the sidelines? He apparently didn't have enough of something to do with his life and with his day because he was just sitting at home shooting out comments all day long at everybody else who was doing some work, telling them how their work wasn't good enough and their work wasn't going to make it enough. Why is there always somebody 
always. And that's what I want you to know. I don't want you to leave here thinking that because God has called you to a good work and because there are some people who have gathered around your good work that everybody that you invite in and everybody that you walk past is just gonna be cheering you on and just gonna be rooting for you. Yes, they will be, but also there's gonna be some sambalots in your life. And they're gonna come and whether that voice of doubt and whether that voice of, of, uh, of mocking comes externally for you or comes internally for you, there are gonna be those who try to come and I want you to know that that is the voice of opposition trying to tear down the good work, trying to halt the progress of the good work that God has called you to. You were designed for that promotion. You were designed for that place that God has put you in. Yes, he got you there on purpose. Yes, he gave it to you on purpose. Yes, he gave you those kids on purpose. Yes, he placed you there on purpose. Don't listen to the voice of the accuser because I love, look at this. Look at what they say. Look at verse six. It says, so it goes on for like a chapter, for like a paragraph about all of the terrible things that Sanabal is saying. And then it just says, so we built the wall. I'm sorry, what? So you got in an argument with them? I feel like you guys missed that. So we engaged with them in the comments for the, our entire evening and we lost our whole night getting angry and getting my blood pressure high about why this crazy fool doesn't know that that is not how I am trying to live. No. They completely ignore it. It says, and they came after us and they made fun of us and they came out every day and they were jeering at us and they told us we couldn't build the wall and that a fox was gonna bring down our wall. What kind of ridiculous, like, people get creative when they're being nasty, right? And then it says... So we built the wall. So we built, what are you building in your life anyway? The work that God has called you to, build it. Build it in the midst of opposition. Build it in the midst of their mockery. Build it when they don't see it. Build it when no one else catches the vision. Noah had to build a boat in the midst of people who had never seen rain before, but he built it anyways. He kept building it. Keep building the thing that God has called you to. Keep building the family that you see in your mind even though you've never experienced it. Keep building the business. Keep reaching out to clients. Keep inviting people to come along keep building and it says so we built so we built the wall so we built the city we dreamed of so we built the church that we imagined so we built it build again the broken down places build again the hurting places build it build it in spite of it build it no matter what they say build it no matter how they press on you build it no matter how they mock you build it no matter how they doubt you build it build it build it it says so we built the wall and all the wall was joined together at its half height for the people had a mind to work. They had a mind to work. What do you have a mind for? What gets your attention? What gets your focus? Does your focus go to the places of question or does your focus go to the work? Does your focus go to the voices around you or does it go to the mighty hand of God? Do you have a mind for the work? It says that they had a mind for the work. That 
inwardly there was something settled in them about the work that they were called to, about the place that they were called to, about the skill that God had given them, about the people that they were working with. And so they said, you can say what you want because we have a mind to work. They had a mind to work. And if you're going to have a mind to work, you have to know why. You have to get a picture for the thing you're going after. You have to get a picture for the thing that God has not, not, not the thing. They weren't building a wall for the sake of having a great wall so they could stand on it and holler to the other cities, our wall's better than your wall. They didn't just want an awesome wall for the sake of an awesome wall. We don't want to build an awesome church for the sake of saying we have an awesome church or we have a big church. No, no, no. There is a reason to this thing. There is a attention to this thing. There is a direction for the purpose of this thing. They had a direction. They had a why deep down in them of the work that they were called to, of the good work that God had given them. It's why it mattered who they built with. It's why it mattered where they stood. It's why it mattered the place that God placed them. It mattered what they did. And when you get to the end of chapter 4, in 4 and 14, this is what it says. Nehemiah is speaking to the people and he says and I looked and I arose and I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people all of these people he has gathered who are you building with and he said to all of them do not be afraid of them Don't get your mind focused on the fear. Don't get your mind focused on the doubt. Don't get your mind focused on the discouragement. Have a mind to work. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. They had a why for this wall that they were building. They weren't building a great wall so they could build a great wall. weren't building a great wall because they didn't have anything else to do. They didn't think that it was worth going and building again the places that had been torn down just so they could say, well, we might as well have gone and built something. I didn't have anything else to do with my weekend, so I decided to come here and see if I could build. No, they said, I need to build this wall again because this is the place where my family is, because this is the place where my neighbors are, because this is the place where my city is. This is the place place where my community is. When we build again, we are building for the people that are coming, for the people we are inviting, for the city God has placed us in. He brought us here to be a light in the midst of the darkness. He planted us here to be those who defend a city, to be those who speak out his truth, to be those who declare his goodness and his grace and his mercy. Who are you building for? Who are you building for? Who is that person? That person. That person that you just thought of. That person that just popped in your mind. That person who you didn't even want to say earlier because you don't want to say their name out loud. 
because you've hoped for so long and you've doubted for so much. That person who you barely even pray about anymore because your faith has been so battered as to whether or not they can experience the presence of God. Who are you building for? Because that's who I'm building for. I'm building so that those who are lost can become found. That those who have wandered have a path home. That a doubting person can find faith again. That a seeking person can find an open door coming home back to Jesus. That those who are hurting can be healed, that broken families can be whole, that the name of Jesus would have a place in this city to be declared, declared from every rooftop, declared from every boardroom, declared in every classroom, declared on every street corner, declare the name of Jesus and see believers living out resilient faith that none that are sent to us that would be lost. Build again so that we can see many coming to their well done good and faithful servant. See many coming to the place where we know that all who seek him will find him. Build again. Build again. We can build again. Who are you building with? Who are you building for? Their names matter. When I think about the stories of so many of us who sit in this room because someone invited you into the story, because someone said, come along with me, because someone said, will you come to this event with me? Will you come to this Christmas service with me? Will you come to this parenting thing with me? Hey, I just wanna tell you about Jesus right where you are. Let me invite you into the story. Who are you building with? He, Nehemiah invited them in because Nehemiah wasn't worried about who got the glory or who got the praise or who got the accolades for everything that they did and who got the applause. Nehemiah said, we have a great work to be done. Come and be part of it. Come and be part of this. Who are you bringing into this great work that God has called us to. It is time to build again. Mm. Father God, we come before you and we thank you. God, we thank you for good work. We thank you that you have called us into work. We thank you that you have called us, God, to a great work. We ask you to give us a fresh passion. We ask you to place us, to position us. We thank you for the power that happens in partnership, God, that we can build together. Give us open doors, give us courage to invite and to bring others into the story of this incredible work that you are doing, God. God, we thank you for it. We praise you for it. You're awesome, God. Jesus' name. There's so much more there about the church that he's calling us to be. If you finish later this week, when you finish reading chapter four, it says that they learned how to work with one hand and how to defend with the other. I think it's a picture for us of a church that knows how to be inward facing and outward facing at the same time, that knows how to be multifaceted in our approaches and in our speech and in who we're reaching and who we're connecting with. But more than anything, I think it's a picture of some tenacious 
people who said, come what may, we built the wall. We built the wall. And that's who you are. You're a church that says, come what may, we know our why. We know what we're going after. We are building a house on the name of Jesus to bring him glory and to bring in many. Let's build this thing together, church. Amen? Amen.